This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Hey, this morning, we are three dudes in the weeds, and we're going to talk about bitterness. I have with me dude number two. I'm dude one, John Tennant. This is dude two. Hey, I'm Austin. And dude three. I'm Shay. And we're going to jump in. And guys, I got to tell you, I had no idea there was so much to bitterness. <laughs> there is so much here. So I've learned a lot so of much. bitterness in this room right now, isn't there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can feel it. Um, but seriously, I was shocked at how much mm-hmm. there is to this category of bitterness. Shay, Tell us what we're going to be doing and how much is here. Yeah, John, I'm so glad we're, we're talking about this today because, I mean, how many people do we encounter um, that, that, that struggle with bitterness, uh, especially when they or we've been wronged, uh, whether it's a person we work with or in our families or maybe it's a marriage or possibly a dating relationship? Uh, is there a, a more common sin that we all share? And that's why the Bible warns us in so many places against bitterness and its destructive nature, as as we're going to see today. Yeah, it's got a root, like a weed. Yeah. And it grows. Yeah. You know, when I think of bitterness, just a, a funny example is I, I think of what George Costanza, right? Uh, <laughs> And but helped. someone comes up with a zinger directed at him, if you remember in one of the episodes. And so he spends the whole time trying to pay that person back with a better zinger. Well, was it, That's bitterness, right? The, the jerk store called and they're out of you. And they're out of you, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he hunts that guy down yeah. trying to, to find him. But, you know, a more serious example here, just to kind of dive in. Um, uh, and sometimes it's easier for us, I think, to talk about our own lives than other people that maybe we work with in ministry. But um, I, I remember that when my mom and dad were married, as I was growing up, uh, my dad, uh, and I don't know how many people know this, but was an alcoholic. And so because of his alcoholism, he didn't live up to his commitments, right? And so at the end of the day, if you think about it, all the things you accomplish, what, what are you? You're about your commitments. We mm-hmm. all break our commitments, but um, we're about our commitments and those that we, that we keep. But, but he didn't keep his commitments. He, he struggled with alcoholism. And, um, and if I grew up maybe the way he did, uh, I, I would have too. But my mom divorced him. Um, as we were about to lose our house because of his drinking. And so we were going under financially. And, and I just remember how rightfully angry and hurt that she was at him. Um, think about it. She had lost not only her relationship with my dad, but also our major means of financial support. And so we went from being kind of a working class, comfortable family having a comfortable lifestyle to really my mom and I struggling to make ends meet. 
And uh, not only that, she lost a lot of her married friends as a result. And in the 1970s, no one in our church knew how to handle divorce. They, they didn't know what to, to quite to do with my mom. And, and really, her life was turned upside down and mine as a result. And, and, and I remember, you know what? I, I still love my dad. He was my dad. Nothing was ever going to change that. And she would be so bitter, not just at him and what he had done, but also at at me as a result. I mean, she thought, why can't I hate him the way she did? And and it wasn't really until I got to college that I, I think she began to realize how bitter she had become and how it had begun to control her life. And, and I remember having a conversation with her, and she apologized to me. And, and I think at that moment, it really was a healing moment in her heart as she finally began to choose to just let it go. Now, I just want to tell you this. My mom was my hero growing up. But, but we all have stories like this where we've been hurt, and as a result, we harbor bitterness towards others, and, and we've got to learn to deal with that. Now, Austin, you've got your own story about yeah. bitterness. You were a couch potato. Uh, some might say Sega belly. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell the story. My freshman year of high school, I got dominated in a basketball drill during practice. And freshman year Austin is a very different look than adult Austin. <laughs> I said my nickname was Sega belly. That was given to me by a friend's dad because I played a lot of Sega Genesis, if anybody remembers that. And... Uh, I I was more spherical and rotund, and God bless me, in this drill, I was trying to box out one of the strongest, most athletic guys on the team, and it just went on and on and on, and I got dominated and dominated, and the coach did not stop the drill, and the guy did not give me any mercy, and I left that day in practice humiliated and bitter, and it it hmm. hung with me for mm-hmm. several years. Anytime I'd see that guy walk into the room, I just kind of clammed up. Um, now, by God's grace, I've been able to move on from that, and we can talk more about how that happened. But man, you want to talk about a story? Uh, freshman year of high school, getting dominated on the basketball court, I was bitter. Yeah, those experiences are very formative, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, as painful and sad as those stories are, both of them show what bitterness looks like and the realities of day-to-day life and how it spills over. And this is a good jumping off point for what we're going to do in our episode today. So we're going to define bitterness, what it is, discuss the signs and the impact of it in your life, explore some causes of it, and then reflect on a few of the problems that bitterness can cause as a result. So Austin, would you kick us off and tell our listeners, what is bitterness? Yeah, I did, you know, just a quick dictionary definition on my computer for bitterness, and and it what came up was anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Mm. Now, if you look at uh, in the Bible, some of the Greek words for bitterness, you get this sense of animosity and a harshness and almost, gosh, this, this hardened anger. Um, you know, Shay, you've been in pastoral ministry a lot longer than me. What else, what else would you add to that? Yeah, I, I think you're right on, Austin. Uh, bitterness is kind of a, it's a settled anger, Right. I mean, anger at its most basic level, at the surface level, responds to some incident that happens. You know, I'm angry at what you did. But bitterness goes deeper than that to form an attitude, a, a settled stance or posture against a person, or, or maybe even God, as we're going to see. See, with most hurts we encounter in an imperfect world, especially small ones, we learn to kind of overlook the offense and we just kind of forgive 
and, and we go on. You know, nothing happens as a result in the relationship. Uh, it goes back to normal. But occasionally, we experience a hurt that cuts so deeply that lingers in our minds and tempts us to become bitter. And then we store that hurt in our hearts, so we begin to look at that person and, and treat them with hostility. Uh, you know, we've all been deeply hurt by others. Whether you've been betrayed, you've been stolen from, you've been lied to, you've been bullied, you've been gossiped about, you've been slandered. And when that happens, instead of forgiving, we begin to cling to anger and wish ill on the offending party, and we start fighting with fire. Hmm. Uh, you know, we, as Paul guys says, we, we treat uh, people really the opposite of love. Uh, love, if you think about it, it's a lot of things, but it's when we... We, as Paul says, we weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. But bitterness turns that around. Uh, think about it. We weep when others are rejoicing because something's going well in their life, and we rejoice when others are weeping or when something's not going so well in their lives. And we're thinking, you know what? They're finally getting what they deserve. And we think if we can stay angry and bitter at someone, we're paying them back. But actually, guys, nursing bitterness gives those who have harmed us an invitation to have power over us. Okay, tell us a little more about that. Yeah, in other words, they begin to control us. They get in our heads, so to speak. And and we think when we get angry and we get bitter, we're paying them back. But actually, they, they still are the ones with all the power, and we're the ones that suffer as a result. That, that's why Anne Lamont once said, nursing a grudge and bitterness against someone is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for someone to die. Oh, jeez. Man. <laughs> I, I love that quote. And, and, and so bitterness at the end of the day really hurts ourselves. It makes us miserable, but it also, as we're going to talk about, hurts our relationship with the other person as we change and how we treat them. We don't treat them out of a stance of, of love, um, and there's always kind of this simmering anger mm-hmm. at them below the surface in our lives, and if we don't learn to forgive, it can even hurt our relationship with God. Yeah, I, I heard somebody say one time that it's kind of like if you cook and you make a reduction sauce in a hot frying pan, you keep cooking it until it boils down into a paste, mm. like really thick and very complex with lots of different components. And hard to, hard to clean off, right? Hard yeah. Hard to get rid of. Exactly. John, you know, when we were planning, you were telling us um, about a couple of really interesting articles that explored more of the signs and the impact of bitterness. I thought it was really interesting, and I think the listeners would find it interesting too. Tell us more about this. Yeah, so in preparing for this, one of the things I found was um, there is a guy, Michael Linden, a German psychologist, who studied the fall of the Berlin Wall and the combining of Germany. And he came up with this theory called embitterment and literally described uh, one group that had been socioeconomically disadvantaged, that's East Germany, from the West Germans who were more sophisticated, had more money. Well, the East Germans found that when they unified the country, they never felt like they were a part of the other crowd. So he termed it the wall in the head. 
and he called it embitterment. And these are some of the things that he found. It's a specific form of an adjustment disorder. Now, this is secular research, that it can be understood or seen in the light of severe trauma, severe anger, feelings of resentment, and the state of what he called EMB, which is how he shortened embitterment. EMB is an emotional state on its own, separate from depression, anxiety, stress, and disgust. Now, what's kind of interesting is if you look at Paul in Ephesians 4, he separates bitterness from other components, other emotions and states of the brain. He says, let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So he even breaks it out from behaviors and emotions. And this secular researcher said it stands on its own. Hmm, so you're um, saying real quick, there's a difference between somebody who's being angry and someone who's bitter. So just because you get angry, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be bitter. Exactly. Yeah. But it's very complicated. Yeah. Anger that's not processed can end up turning into bitterness or fueling bitterness. But the state of EMB, embitterment, is painful, he said, unpleasant, a feeling of getting even. Now get this, one may even feel a reward or a satisfaction if they can find a way to take revenge on somebody. Uh, EMB can result in medical illness that's exacerbated and augmented by psychological undertones. In short, it can create like physical symptoms. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter eight, Paul describes bitterness as a gall. And if you think of gall, that's related to gallbladder. Like it's a bile, a bitter substance that can literally make us sick. So very interesting secular research, nothing to do with the Bible, but it describes what the Bible points to. Yeah, so it it's um it it's telling us just how as you what you're saying, John, is just what a big deal this is in our lives. How it can it become a state, right? Mm -hmm. That that um and and we operate out of that state of bitterness and how we see the world and how we see other people, how we see our relationship with 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 God. Austin, um, tell us maybe what some of the impacts of bitterness might be. Yeah, you know, the first one that comes to mind just, and we've kind of been talking about it, but to name it explicitly, just the relational impact of bitterness. Um, I, I can't remember uh, who said this, but the quote that really stuck with me described my experience was, bitterness stops the clock of your life. Mm. You can't and you don't want to move on because of the perceived injustice, right or wrong, the pain and the hurt that you experience. And, you know, to the belief here is, you know, if you move on, that would mean that the offense is minimized or ignored or invalidated. And there's a part of us that just cannot have that. And, you know, since we were meant to feel understood and valued and validated and respected, we're hardwired. That's a good thing. When that doesn't happen, it's like our entire world stops and all of our resources are marshaled toward getting someone, the perpetrator, or maybe even the bystanders at the event, like the coach in my own story, we want them to take notice. And if and when this doesn't happen, this, what I think is the beginning of bitterness. And now I bring all that up to show that it's understandable, but also just to point out how this stance can impact the relationships that we have in our life. You know, if we're a bitter person, we might become annoying to others who've already moved on. 
uh, or if you've known a bitter person, you know that they can take all the joy out of a room like a black hole or they bring everything back to their own story and their own pain. And essentially, we just, uh, we just want to isolate from that person, which unfortunately, it makes that person even more bitter and just the cycle continues. So it affects our relationships with other people. Um, Austin, I, I think it also, there, there's so many people that I meet and, you know, you ask them, why have you walked away from, from Jesus? Why, why are you no longer a follower of Jesus? Well, they, they've let some bitterness impact their relationship with God. It's a spillover. Yeah, absolutely. They, in other words, they've transferred the bitterness against someone or some circumstance that they've experienced in life onto God. And, and they begin to think, you know what? He must not care about me. He must not love me. Uh, why would God allow this to happen to me, and they walk away from the very person, Jesus, who can heal their hearts. This is all good. We're going to take a quick break and come back and look at some of the causes of bitterness. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. All right, we're back, and we're going to plunge into causes of bitterness. Austin, take us in. Yeah, you know, I think there's some relational causes of bitterness. I know we've been talking a lot about the relational piece. It's, it's so important. And what I mean by that is bitterness arises from specific, particular circumstances that happen in our lives with others. Maybe it's one really big thing, or maybe it's a lot of little itty-bitty things that have built up over time. You know, maybe you've had a bad interaction with a boss. Or maybe that conversation with your in-laws did not go well again. Maybe a person who you thought was your friend didn't support you in the way that you wanted. You know, the circumstances are endless. And we see them all the time with clients and in, in full-time, you know, pastoral ministry. But what I think they all have in common is that they can leave you with the sense of being missed. You're not seen. Right. And what I mean is that for whatever reason, the person didn't understand what you wanted or needed, and you were left feeling minimized or invalidated or unloved. And when that happens, it makes sense why you'd get angry, frustrated, annoyed, and more. Or honestly, if you're like me, maybe even try to minimize it yourself. No, I'm not. No, I'm fine. I don't need to be so soft. You know, the, this, is, this is what can happen. Mm. And if and when we don't manage these emotional states, we just leave all of those feelings and frustrations inside. And guess what? They don't stay there. They, it, it's like they're alive and they're going to morph into bitterness to varying degrees. And that's kind of where the process ends. Mm. But I hope our, our listeners, hope you guys understand that the cause of bitterness had a beginning that arose out of a particular and specific relational interaction. Yeah, that's really good, Austin. Uh, You're so right. So much of our bitterness does arise out of our relational circumstances because we're relational beings at the end of the day. Um, And and at the very same time, we also need to acknowledge that there are spiritual causes of bitterness as well. And and what I mean by that is I I think in in some sense we could say that there's a little bit of a, a, a satanic, demonic influence when um, bitterness has taken root in our lives. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27, he says, 
be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so, you know, this is a little bit, there's a spectrum here, right? Uh, some of us, I think we fall in this category. We think, well, we don't, we don't believe the devil exists at all. Others of us think, you know, the devil is behind every bush. You know, he's the reason why I didn't get that parking spot at the mall. But Paul's reminding us here that when we let bitterness take a take a, a root or take root in our lives, that we, in some sense, there's some sort of demonic, satanic element to it where we're giving him a foothold. Yeah, what's interesting is when Paul says, be angry and don't sin, he's saying, go ahead, be angry. But if you do not process it, if you do not acknowledge it and deal with it, that is territory or like material that the enemy can actually work with. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So, Shay, will you um, talk to us a little bit about just some of the problems that bitterness could cause? Again, we could spend <laughs> hours and hours talking about this, but kind of, dare I say, distill and boil it down to some of our listeners. What are some of the problems? Yeah, I came up with uh, six things um, that I think bitterness does in our lives. There are probably a lot more, but, but let me just go through these quickly. But number one, we become... Uh, bitterness can cause us to become walled in. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is it causes us, I think, to put up thick walls around us to protect us from others and uh, to protect our own resentment. In, in other words, guys, we like to kind of stew inside those walls because we think that it makes us feel a lot better. Well, so, this researcher, yeah. Michael Linden, right, looking at the people in Berlin, termed it the wall in the head. So the, I don't know if you picked this up from there, but it really fits. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know where I got it, but that's also, uh, you know, there's that famous quote by N Nelson Mandela. Uh, he said this, he said, uh, as I walked out the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Hmm. And that's crazy because he was in prison for what, 27 years, something like that, yeah. unjustly. And for yeah. him to say that, holy cow. Yeah. Second thing is, is it blinds us to our own shortcomings. Um, you know, we, we can so easily see, right, the splinter in someone else's eye. But there's maybe a huge plank in ours that we can't see because we're so focused on what the other person has done. So it just imprisons us to be our, uh, to, to our own, it imprisons us to our own perspective and how we've been wronged. And it also binds us to the person who has hurt us. In, in other words, we stay tied to them emotionally and, and psychologically as long as we remain embittered towards them. The third thing is it baits us. It, it baits us to take revenge when we've been wronged. But God says that vengeance is mine. It's not ours to take. Um, we're not to pay evil with evil or insult with insult, but we're called to entrust ourselves to God, as, as Peter says in, in, in 1 Peter. Um, God, see, God is the one who will judge all things impartially. And, and that's a good thing. You know, people kind of 
balk today at this idea that God is our judge and he's going to come back in vengeance. But God's righteous judgment is coming, and that truth has allowed Christians to forgive because we know, right, at the end of the day, all things will be made right. You know, one theologian that I admire, Miroslav Volf, Mm -hmm. says that the idea that God's not a judging God only can grow in the quiet of suburbia America. That, that's absolutely if right. If you have been wronged, you want a God who will say, I will hold people accountable. Yeah, he, he's exactly right. Um, you know, if, if we don't want God to come in judgment, it means we probably live pretty sheltered lives. We live in this little bubble, and we really haven't experienced the injustice that so many people around the world experience. So let me let me get this right just to make sure of myself and listeners. When you say bitterness baits us to take revenge, in other words, if we're bitter, we start believing we have to take care of this. And when we're in that mindset, we forget about the fact that God is going to take care of it and we can release it. That that's exactly right. And it and, feels satisfying in the moment. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, back to your point, John, Miroslav Wolf, the only way he said that people that that have um, gone through war and the destruction of that and the evil of that, that the only way that nations could be healed is to learn to forgive, right, if justice wasn't done this side of heaven, knowing that there is a God who's going to come and ultimately bring about bring about justice. Yeah, the story's not over. That's exactly right. Fourth thing is, is it burdens us with poisonous feelings like anger and wrath and malice and despondency. Uh, Paul says this, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Because when we don't, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And as we've mentioned, gives Satan a foothold to seek and to destroy us. And guys, it kills our joy. Mm. It kills our joy in life. Fifth thing is it bleeds into our relationships with others. Um, Hebrews twelve fifteen says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Um, Bitterness creates so many divisions in relationships and within families and churches. I mean, think about it. How many got, how many people have left churches over the issue of something that had been done to them? They can't work through the issues, and they leave because they're bitter. And they go to another church where they can get hurt again and become more bitter, and it just keeps going and going and going. And, and think about how it relates to so much of our political discourse today. You know, we see someone online who comes down on a different political spectrum than we do. And because we make politics our God, we seethe with anger with everything that they write online. So we make them out to be the enemy. We view them through this lens in everything that they do. And so Twitter is so toxic and in many ways such a waste of time. Why? Well, because people's pride gets hurt and and we become so bitter at one another. And and politics, if you think about it, makes such strange bedfellows, doesn't it? Hmm. Um, I've just been amazed to see, uh, even within my own theological circles, people who would never back in the past have anything to do with dispensationalists and and vice versa. But now they fawn over one another (laughs) Because they hate a certain political candidate. Yeah, so there's this crazy. there's this unity in hating another person. 
It's like bitter bedfellows. Bitter bedfellows. And then finally, the sixth thing is that bitterness belittles the grace of God in our lives. And, and here's what I mean. Maybe this is the most important thing I'm going to say all day. But but have you ever noticed how God, in his sense of humor, seems to bless people that were embittered at, right? Their ministry flourishes. God blesses them in their jobs. All the while, we think if only people knew what I know about them. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to leave judgment to God. Jay, I'm, I'm not quite sure I get this. This is not landing at all. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, the, the biggest problem I have is God doesn't run the world the way I would. That's exactly right. That's the problem. Because only God can judge us all impartially. And that includes ourselves. But bitterness can cause us to be blinded even to God's blessing and grace in our own lives. Um, not just our material blessings, but our spiritual ones as well, right? And we're going to talk about this in the coming episode. But if, if Jesus could forgive us at our worst, we should forgive others at their worst. Um, forgive, forgive as we've been forgiven. Jesus' forgiveness of us allows us to forgive other people. And only when we do that will we really deal with the bitterness in our hearts. We're going to talk about that next episode. Yeah, Shay, that's, that's so good. Let me, let me see if I get this right. When you say that bitterness can cause us to belittle the grace of God, what I think you're saying is that this bitterness prevents us from seeing, appreciating, and even experiencing the grace of God. You know, God, he's given us so much grace in our lives, especially in the person of Jesus. But bitterness causes us to ignore that grace and to believe, yeah, it's nothing special. And instead, we believe we need something else in order to make things right instead of the grace of God and Jesus, which in a sense is belittling God's grace. Is that, is that right? That, that's right. It kills thankfulness. And when we don't choose to forgive we can become so disappointed in God, we can make the offense that, that someone has done to us into an idol of utmost importance in our lives. In effect, painful resentment and bitterness can replace our affection and our devotion to God. That's how damaging this is, guys. You know, there's a, a story that I'm reminded of. It, it was based upon the, the movie um, Amadeus, right? But which details Mozart's life. But his colleague in that movie, if you haven't seen it, it's an older movie, but it's Salieri. Uh, Salieri, interestingly, makes this bargain with God. And so he goes to God and says, God, um, if you will just bless me with fame, you know, if you will make my life go well, um, then I will honor you with my life. So he makes this grand bargain to God. And that's not the way we're to approach God, right? We don't make these deals. God, you give me this, and then I'll give you this back. That's the vending machine kind of God. Well, at least we don't admit it. Right, right. That's exactly right. But Salieri makes this um, pledge to God. He says, I'll follow you. I won't be a drunkard. I, I won't chase women, that kind of thing. If you just bless me and, and make my name glorious— and along comes Mozart, and Mozart is this—he's a womanizer, he's a drunk, he doesn't follow the rules. And what Salieri realizes is that Mozart is a lot more talented than he is, and that Salieri realizes that his talent will never surpass Mozart. Mozart does everything wrong, and yet he's a gifted musician. And in fact, there's this one scene— 
where Mozart takes Salieri's work and he bangs it out on the piano to make fun of him. And it just, it cuts Salieri to the, to the core of who he is. And, and, and he, he chooses as a result of that, instead of just accepting his place in life and how God had gifted him and how God had blessed him, he becomes bitter and he resents Mozart, but he also, guys, he resents God. And he says, God, I am going to choose to live my life in defiance of you and in defiance of Mozart. And he lived out this bitter existence because he was so bitter at God and at Mozart and what had happened to him in his life. And so bitterness is such a powerful thing. We have to deal with it. Yeah, that movie haunts me. It, it does me too. It's really worth seeing if you haven't seen it, um, but it really will give you a, a such a good picture of bitterness and how it spreads. Yeah, and it seems like if you could make a bumper sticker out of that story, or the moral is bitterness will destroy you, hmm. period. End of well, story. Yeah, and if you've... If you're leaving the episode today thinking you're a lot more bitter than you thought, well, <laughs> cheer up. It's worse than you think. Um, but we are going to show you in our next episode, like, how to deal with it. In a word, it's forgiveness, and there's a lot that goes into that. But we'll leave you hanging until then. So thanks for being with us today, and join us for our next episode. You guys, three dudes in the weeds. It's been fun. Yep. Thanks, Glad John. To be here. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at withyouintheweeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.